Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us here in the room. Thank you for joining us online. If you open your Bibles to James chapter 3, we're going to continue in our study of this wonderful New Testament book uh, written by the first pastor of the first church in Jerusalem, James, the half-brother of Jesus. And I know that uh, we're gonna gain a lot from this section of scripture. It's just been a, a wonderful study for me and I believe it'll be challenging to our hearts together. We're gonna look at what James has to say about wisdom. The book of James is often seen as kind of the parallel to the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. It has a lot to do with very practical things of life, wisdom, as Pastor Brian talked about last week, about how we use our words, the power of our words, and now James delves into the contrast between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom here in this paragraph in verses three through or 13 through 18 in chapter three of James. We're talking about the wisdom of your life. You know, knowledge is to have facts and information, Understanding is the ability to put facts and information together and see how they relate. And then wisdom is how you apply that knowledge and that understanding in life. And James, remember, is writing to Christians. And he's saying to them that they've got to be careful. You can have knowledge and information that is accurate, that's biblical. It can be from God's word itself. But if you, in your demeanor and the way you communicate those things and the way in which you live tap into earthly wisdom rather than heavenly wisdom, it causes problems. So we can be right about the information, about the truth, about even the love we're to share, but how we communicate it, how we apply it, how others perceive us as we do that is so very important. Now, there are, are practical things we talk about. We talk about wisdom. As a matter of fact, one teacher asked her elementary kids to give some wise statements that they thought would be good for other people to know, things they've learned, wisdom that they have. And so uh, Patrick, age 10, said this wise saying, never trust a dog to watch your food. <laughs> that makes sense, right? We can all understand that. Michael, age 12, said, when your dad is mad and asks you, do I look stupid, don't answer him. <laughs> Jordan, age 11, said, never tell your mom her diet is not working. Lauren, age nine, said, felt markers are not good to use as lipstick. Then I like this one from Joe, age 10, don't pick on your sister when she's holding a baseball bat. That's some wisdom, isn't it? And after what we've celebrated today, I like this one, Ashley, age eight, never try to baptize a cat. That's some good <laughs> wisdom for life. Now, as we look into this passage and we talk about the wisdom of your life, the wisdom of my life, I want us to understand this thought. The source of your wisdom is obvious to others by the way you live your life, the way you carry yourself, the way you communicate, the demeanor, the attitude, the spirit. And we read in James chapter three how we should be communicating that wisdom, what the wisdom of our life should look like. If you look at verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Who is it? that has the right kind of wisdom, the right kind of understanding, let them show it. It's gonna show up in your life. Let them show it by their good deeds, by their life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Again, you can have all the biblical knowledge you need to have. You can hold to biblical values and a biblical worldview of justice. You can be right about a lot of things. 
and you can have the right knowledge and right understanding, but then you tap into earthly wisdom and how you communicate and behave and carry yourself. And James is saying, if you have wisdom and understanding, it's gonna show up in your life by the deeds that you do, the way you carry yourself in humility that comes from the right kind of wisdom. He's gonna contrast wisdom of God, the wisdom of Christ, the wisdom of Christ's kingdom compared to the wisdom of humanity, the wisdom of earth, the wisdom that's just the common wisdom of life here apart from God. Now, the scriptures have a lot to say about wisdom. As a matter of fact, James opened this book after talking about finding joy in our trials. He then said in James 1 and verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. We should ask God for wisdom from above. We should ask him to help us demonstrate that kind of wisdom as we communicate and we live life here on earth. Proverbs 2.6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Proverbs 3.13 says, Happy is the person who finds wisdom and understanding. Proverbs 4.7 says we should pay whatever price it costs us to get wisdom. Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Go beyond just knowledge. And then the Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians 2 and verse 6, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you think about wisdom from above, wisdom of God, the wisdom of God's kingdom, and if we're going to allow his will and his kingdom to be lived out here on earth through us, we have to understand that Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom and understanding from God's perspective. Jesus lived in real time, in real relationships. Of course, as God, he was pure. He had the right knowledge and truth that he shared he had the right love and compassion and mercy. He had all that. He had the knowledge and understanding. But he didn't live according to an earthly wisdom. He didn't interact with others the same way they interacted with him. He was distinct and different. And we who know Christ and live in this world today cannot live even as we discuss things of morality and justice as we seek to live out his life in us. We've got to make sure that we do it according to the wisdom of God as embodied in Christ. Not just that we have the right information or that we're right about certain things. So I want us to see here the contrast that James gives us in these verses of James chapter 3 verses 13 through 18. We saw verse 13 calling us to a wisdom and understanding that we reflect in the deeds of our life and, and the humility we demonstrate that comes along with heavenly wisdom. Then in verses 14 and 16, we see here earthly wisdom. We're gonna notice that earthly wisdom creates problems. Again, you can have the good news, you can have the Bible, you can have the truth, but if you communicate that, carry that into life, into your relationships, if you do that, with earthly wisdom, it's gonna create problems. You're gonna be a troublemaker. You're gonna agitate people. Let's look at verses 14 through 16 from James 3. He starts off with, but. Now, there are two ways in the original Greek to, to uh, use this contrast. There's one that's kind of like, but. And then there's another that's, but. This is the emphatic one. But if you harbor, this is in contrast to the kind of wisdom he says we ought to show in our lives, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, if you hold on to kind of a self-absorbed self-focus 
and you have bitterness and envy, you want what other people have, and you want to push your own agenda in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Don't boast about the way you're carrying yourself if it doesn't match God's kind of wisdom. And do not deny that you may have the right information, the right values, the right perspective, but you're communicating it in the wrong way. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. One of the first messages in the book of James, Pastor Brian Howard talked about how we have three enemies, the world of flesh and the devil, and it's laid out here, earthly, unspiritual, demonic. That's where that wisdom comes from. Now, earthly wisdom creates problems. It creates problems in our relationships, in our lives, and in the lives of others. First of all, by living shamelessly. By living shamelessly. If you look again at verse 14, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. You see, we become agitators, we become aggressive, we become arrogant when it's all about us. Bitter envy is the idea that someone else has something that I want or I think I deserve. Last night on my way home after the Saturday night service, I went to Chick-fil-A, and it was very busy. And if you've been to the Chick-fil-A here in Westlake, you know that uh, you get in line, and sometimes the line gets so long wrapping around, it'll block the exit to the drive-thru, and so you stop uh, a little ways from there, and you leave that open so the line can keep moving, and then you move around the corner, and you get in the back of the line as the line gets going around the building. Well, I was stopped, ready to turn, and as I was there, I was watching the back lights of the car that was beyond the exit to the drive-thru, and they began to move forward, and I started to move, and all of a sudden, a car came around me and got in that spot. That really bothered me. <laughs> I started thinking, now that person's going to get to order before me. They're going to get their food before me. I just started getting really irritated by this. I deserve that spot. I've been here. I did what I was supposed to do. And then we got up to where it divides, and there are two places to order, and, and uh, one person on this side and the other on this side. And so I made my order, and the lady made a couple of mistakes, so she had to correct those. And by the time I made my order, not only did the car that got in front of me get going before me out of the ordering area, but two other cars. So now as I turn the corner, I've got this car that cut in front of me and two more cars that went before me. And when the car that cut in front of me got to the window and I saw the food going out, there was something in me that said, that should be me. I deserve that. And you know, we have this idea that we deserve something. And you say, well, they were wrong for doing that. But there's something that gets inside of us that is very earthly. And there is something that gets in us that says, I am right. Well, after all, Sean, you were right. And we, we, we even pronounce this. We say, I am right to the people we care about. We do this with our children, our grandchildren. We do it with our friends and relatives. Whether it's a political issue or it's something of morality, justice, it's something about media or whatever it happens to be, we are right. And online, we gotta be right and everybody's gotta know that we're right. Nothing else matters because I'm right. Now, the difficulty here is we may have the right truth and the right knowledge and understanding, 
But now the way in which it's being conveyed by our life and how we live and the demeanor we have and the words we use, we now are all about us. And there is a certain shamelessness that we don't even deny that we've got this self-focus because after all, I've got the good news, I've got the right stuff, but there's still a problem. Earthly wisdom creates problems by living shamelessly. Secondly, by living godlessly. Look at verse 15. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly. It's unspiritual. It means sensual. It's, it's of the flesh. It's even demonic. Now notice, I'm not saying that earthly wisdom creates problems by being ungodly. I'm saying godless. That's different. It doesn't mean that it runs in opposition to God. What it means is it leaves God out. There are a lot of Christians who have the good news, they have the right perspective, they understand the Bible, they have the knowledge, they even know how some of it goes together, but as they communicate it to the people closest to them, as they get into a discussion over politics or a discussion over morality, whatever the issue is, they begin to discuss it. Then they go with a godless earthly wisdom that just leaves God out of the equation. Because after all, look how they treated me. Look at how they responded. Look at what she said. Look at what he said. Look at what she posted on my post. And then I'm going to give it to them because they're going to give it to me. That's earthly wisdom. It's shameless. It's arrogant. It's bold. And it leaves God out of the equation altogether. And then we define ourselves by the same earthly wisdom in which people carry themselves in the world who don't know Christ and we don't look any different. We don't reflect his kingdom or his values. Earthly wisdom creates problems by living shamelessly, by living godlessly, by living recklessly. The last verse of this section, verse 16, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. It causes conflict and confusion. We begin to lose our testimony. But I was just sharing the good news. I was just standing up for what's right. I was just saying what the Bible says. But in the way in which you communicated that knowledge and understanding, did you lack heavenly wisdom and did you embrace earthly wisdom that is shameless and godless and reckless? God's wisdom is never reckless. If you look at the, the life of Jesus, he was never reckless in how he carried himself, the demeanor he had, the spirit, the attitude. He was never reckless. And yet today, a lot of us in Christianity, we, we, we just sort of justify our attitude, our words, our spirit, because that's what they did. They're in the world. We're supposed to be different. They're in the kingdom of this planet. We're in the kingdom of heaven. There should be something distinct and different about us. After seminary, I served as an assistant pastor of a church outside of Philadelphia, really close to Valley Forge for about three years. And Leslie and I had just been married uh, before I started seminary, so we were pretty young in ministry and life. And, and uh, this church was a wonderful place for me to grow and serve and, and just learn a lot about what it, mean, what it meant to be a shepherd of the Lord and to serve God's people in a local church. And they had a wonderful history of seeing people come to Christ, being baptized and growing in the Lord. But there had been a period in the 50s when uh, they kind of got into this thing that they were looking back when I served there in the 90s and kind of saying, oh, I wish we didn't do that back then. And that wasn't a part of us because we lost our testimony in the community. 
they, they would develop these little tracks they had that could be printed on a sheet, and it was a, the gospel in a pamphlet form, and um, would talk about the love of God, and man's sin, and how you can be right with God through Jesus Christ, and it was all written in there, and, but they had it so that you cut it a certain way and you fold it a certain way. It rolled up like a stick of dynamite. It was all red on the outside, and they had even a little fuse with it, and uh, they called them gospel bombs. And um, at the end of the service, for a couple of years, the pastor would encourage people to go to the baskets or boxes by the doors, and there would be gospel bombs that people had prepared. And you could pick them up and take them with you, and you were encouraged during the week when you saw someone, like at a corner, you're in your car and there's someone standing at a light or something, you roll down your window, you yell, gospel bomb, and throw it at their feet, roll up the window, and drive on. Now you say, well... That's a terrible thing to do. I mean, you shouldn't yell bomb to begin with. But secondly, that, you know, it's not life on life sharing the gospel. But some of them would say, well, there were people who came to Jesus through that. And, and, and there were people who at times defended that as it would be talked about by others who had lived through that era of the church or had heard stories of it. But what happened was, over time, they lost their testimony in the community. Now, they had the right gospel, they had the right knowledge, they even knew how the gospel went together and other people need to hear this good news of Jesus. But they were using earthly means, they were using the shock factor and the idea that they grabbed people's attention, it would cause a stir and people would be thinking about it. That's not heavenly wisdom. You see, when we follow earthly wisdom that is shameless, godless, and reckless, all we do is agitate, and we push people away from Christ, not toward Christ. Let me ask you this question very simply. Are you an agitator? Maybe you've got the right knowledge, the right understanding, but your demeanor is you get in the face of people. I'm right, nothing else matters. And that's your spirit toward your children, your grandchildren, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. It's your spirit online. Are you just an agitator? Our purpose is not to be an agitator in this world. Our purpose is to represent Jesus. And we'll see in a moment, even as peacemakers. Earthly wisdom creates problems. But James doesn't end there. Now he makes this, this contrast that heavenly wisdom cultivates peace. Earthly wisdom creates problems. Heavenly wisdom cultivates peace. As a matter of fact, we are told to be peacemakers. And a lot of people think, well, that sounds weak. That sounds wimpy. We've got to really argue with these heathen people. We've got to really argue with the philosophies of this world. We've got to get in their face. We've got to treat them with the same spirit they treat us. No, we don't. That's not how Jesus did it. That's not the wisdom of heaven. That's the wisdom of earth. And we need to be called to his kingdom values and his kingdom principles. Heavenly wisdom cultivates peace. Look at verses 17 and 18. Here again is that strong contrast. But that's the way the world goes about it. Don't have that demeanor. Don't have that spirit. Don't have that I am right, nothing else matters attitude. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, that was embodied in the person of Jesus Christ, is first of all pure. Notice it's first pure. Then peace-loving considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Look at the qualities of wisdom that carries itself in such a way that it reflects Jesus. It's first of all pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And then he says, peacemakers who sow in peace 
reap a harvest of righteousness. Not of rightness, but of righteousness. Peacemakers who sow in peace, if you go about sharing your views and your values, sharing the perspective of God's word, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others in a wisdom that comes from heaven, it's gonna follow the descriptors of verse 17. And when you as a peacemaker sow in peace, guess what? Then you reap a harvest not of being right. We're not here to be right. We're here to be righteous. And that righteousness comes out of our lives and I think it draws people to Jesus who then follow Jesus and that righteousness comes out of their lives. Jesus himself said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. John Stott said, Jesus Christ is a peacemaker, so if we want to be God's children and Christ's disciples, we must be peacemakers too. That's what Jesus emphasized in the Sermon on the Mount. Billy Graham said this, to be a peacemaker, you must know the peace giver. Next week, we'll see in James 4 how James says that every human being is born at enmity with God, at war with God. Every human being is born with a broken relationship with God because of sin. The sin of Adam and Eve has caused all of us to be born sinners. And a lot of people think, well, if you're religious enough, if you're good enough, if you try hard enough, then you'll, you'll bridge that gap. Somehow you'll make peace with God by all your efforts. No, you won't. I can never do that. You can never do that. But the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5.1, we can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came, gave his life on the cross. He was buried and he was raised from the dead so that as we express our faith in Christ and what he did for us, he shows us his grace and his mercy and he rescues us and he makes the peace between us and God that we can never make on our own. If you've come to faith in Christ, you have peace with God. Take a moment today and thank God for the peace he's given you through Jesus Christ in your relationship with him. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can trust him today. You could put your faith in him and you could talk to a Christian friend if you have questions. We have uh, folks who are in the room can meet a person from our care ministry down front. They'll have a mask, they'll social distance, it'll be safe. But you can come pray with them, talk to them, ask them questions about what it means to have peace with God. If today's the day you found peace with God through Jesus Christ, we wanna celebrate that with you. You can text the name Jesus, whether you're joining us online or in the room, you can text the name Jesus to the number that's below me here on the screen, and we wanna walk with you and help you and follow up with you so that you can know what it means to walk in life, knowing you have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Because then he promises us that not only can we have peace with God in that eternal relationship given to us in Christ, but we can have the peace of God as we walk with him. And then we become those who are sharing that peace with others as we live as peacemakers. Now, some people hear, well, then, you mean we're never supposed to share the gospel with anyone? We're never supposed to share our views on morality or justice or these issues? No. Are you saying we've got to just reach some sort of compromise with the people of this world? No. That's not what peacemaking is about. As a matter of fact, a biblical peacemaker doesn't seek to help others see and embrace compromise. A biblical peacemaker seeks to help others see and embrace Christ. This isn't about pulling a little from the right and a little from the left or a little from this or a little from that or a little from history and a little from now and you reach some compromise. This is about 
pointing people to Jesus. And he's the solution to all of the issues of this world and of this life. And when we embrace shameless, godless, reckless wisdom of this earth, we can have the right knowledge, the right information, we can know everything about the Bible and miscommunicate to a lost and dying world the reality of who Jesus Christ is and why they should look to him for salvation. But when we embrace the wisdom that comes from heaven, the wisdom that's from above, then we not only have the right knowledge and understanding, the good news, the truth, the word of God, but now we communicate it in real time, in real relationships, just as Jesus did in real time and in real relationships. And so we need to understand that being a peacemaker means pointing people to Jesus Christ. Heavenly wisdom cultivates peace. And there are several descriptors we've seen here in verse 17 of, of James chapter three. Heavenly wisdom cultivates peace, first of all, by living purely. He says, first of all, this wisdom is pure. This is a great starting point. He's gonna end with it's sincere. It lacks hypocrisy. It's authentic. It's genuine. It's real. But he starts with pure. We need to pursue our own holiness and purity before God. Wisdom from above is pure. It's not shameless. It's not godless. It's not reckless. It's pure. Secondly, heavenly wisdom cultivates peace by living peaceably. The verse says peace loving. I think in some circles of Christianity, we've gotten to this point that we love a good fight. We love fighting those people on the other side. We love fighting those people who don't believe in God. We love fighting those agnostics who aren't sure. We love fighting those people in those other religions. We love fighting, we love fighting, we love fighting. We should not love fighting. We should love peace. That doesn't mean we don't believe what we believe and stand for what we stand for. It means we do it like Jesus did. If you look at how Jesus did it, people were drawn to him, to the message, to who he was, how he loved them, how he cared for them. By living lives that love peace, by living peaceably, people will see the wisdom of heaven in our lives. Proverbs 14.30 says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Not only does heavenly wisdom cultivate peace by living purely and peaceably, but also by living graciously. In the text here, it's the word considerate. Wisdom from above is considerate. It's gracious. It gives people space to absorb what we're sharing with them. It gives people space for us to walk with them over time. We don't have to settle this argument right now. I'm going to prove to you I'm right. See, I'm right. I'm walking away. No, we need to be willing to be considerate and walk with people and help them see and answer their questions and show them grace and invest time and, and, and be with them as Jesus was. Heavenly wisdom cultivates peace by living purely, peaceably, graciously, and then humbly. The word here in the text is submissive. It, it speaks of of humbling myself before others. And you say, well, what if this person's an atheist? What if this person is so immoral? What if they, they stand for some horrible values? You still humble yourself and consider them better than yourself. Paul said that in Philippians 2.3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. He uses that same phrase, selfish ambition, that shameless selfishness. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Treat other people 
better than you treat yourself. That would be radical in our world that is so polarized and there's so many arguments and divisive debates and, and animosity. If the people of God would look at the person they're talking to and they have a disagreement with and they're trying to share Christ with and value them higher than they value themselves, there'd be a whole different disposition. And what this is, this is so radical, it's from heaven, that people will notice your wisdom is from heaven, not just the knowledge you have, but the wisdom you have is from heaven, and it's gonna radically open up their hearts to what the Spirit of God wants to do in their lives and what God wants to do in drawing them to himself. Humbly, purely, peaceably, graciously, humbly, and heavenly wisdom cultivates peace by living fruitfully. Full of fruit, verse 17 says. Full of fruit. What's the fruit that comes out of our lives? What is it that God is doing as the Spirit of God changes us, as we open the Word of God, we turn Him in prayer, we spend time with others in God's Word and praying for each other in small groups and Bible studies? What is it that God is doing in our lives as a result of our gathering to worship together? What is God doing in my life, in your life? He's changing us from the inside out. The Spirit of God is changing us. And the fruit that the Spirit of God is active and alive in your life that comes out, Paul describes in Galatians 5, and 23 when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Look at this list of qualities, the fruit that comes out of our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is the very person of Jesus Christ himself. We're gonna to seek to live in love like Jesus. It's not some outward adherence. It's an internal transformation. The fruit of the Spirit as God works in us. Wisdom from above is fruitful. Look at these words. Would, this, would, would someone you had the last political argument with say, oh yes, she used those qualities as we discussed. Oh yes, he portrayed these qualities as we had that disagreement. Would someone you last shared the gospel with say, yeah, they conveyed these qualities as they communicated, not just the information, not just the truth, but this is what they, they had in terms of their demeanor and their posture as we communicated their spirit. Think of the things you've posted in the last two or three months, the emails you've sent, the comments you've made. Would people be able to describe you in this way based on your social network interaction? on your Zoom conversations, in your email. See, we've got this problem, James is addressing it, that is that Christians can have the right knowledge and the right understanding, and then we live with a wisdom that is worldly. And we need to be distinct and different in this world and live with the wisdom that comes from heaven, and heavenly wisdom cultivates peace that points to Jesus by living fruitfully, and then by living selflessly. It says here that this kind of wisdom is impartial. It doesn't focus on self. It's not making judgments on, on my own perspective. It's impartial, can see people and make judgments and have interaction that leaves me out of it. And I, I'm, not, I'm not reacting to someone based on the way they've communicated with me because I, I don't have to absorb that. I can live selflessly. And then finally, after saying heavenly wisdom cultivates peace by living purely, peaceably, graciously, humbly, mercifully, fruitfully, selflessly, he says, and sincere. Heavenly wisdom is sincere. By living authentically, we demonstrate the wisdom of heaven to those around us. 
by living authentically. This means genuinely. In younger generations, there's this idea that to be authentic, you just say whatever's on your mind, no filter. That's authentic. You want the real me? Here it is. And we just vomit it out. That's not authenticity because you also got to be gracious and considerate and humble. This means there's no major gap between who you present yourself to be and who you are. There have been pastors uh, over the last you know, five years, we could make a list of probably a dozen uh, Christian leaders in our country who, who have been so good at communicating Christ and arguing for the truth of Scripture, and, and then it all collapsed because we find out they were different in public than they were in private. And it happens to Christians in the workplace who are sharing their faith, and then there's a discovery that, that there's something phony and fake. There's a, a lack of authenticity. There's a gap between who they say they are and who they really are. That's why I think he starts with, first of all, heavenly wisdom is pure. Because when you start pursuing that purity of Christ, then... You can have that authenticity, that genuineness. And our world needs believers who are peacemakers in such a way that there is authenticity, a lack of hypocrisy or duplicity in their lives. Now, what's, what's going to be the outcome of us living purely, peaceably, graciously, humbly, mercifully, fruitfully, selflessly, authentically, as we communicate God's truth and who God is and the good news of Jesus Christ. What's the result? Verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Earthly wisdom says, I'm right, and get out of my way because I'm right, and nothing you can say or do is gonna change that. I'm right, here it is, take it or leave it. Heavenly wisdom does not focus on being right, it focuses on being righteous. And to be righteous is to encompass all that Christ is in his wisdom. It's, it's the holiness of Christ. It's the perfection of Christ. It's the justice of Christ. It's the compassion, the grace, the love, the mercy of Christ. You see, when we are peacemakers pointing others to Christ and not putting ourselves into this, not getting caught up in the same way the world argues or the same way the world makes their points, but we do it with a heavenly wisdom. The Holy Spirit takes that Christ-like demeanor that we bring into that conversation, we bring into our homes, we bring into our workplaces, and he uses it to draw other people to himself because they see the righteousness of Christ coming out in us. Too many of us in Christianity have to be right when we ought to be thinking about being righteous. We ought to be thinking about what it means to be righteous. Being righteous is always more important than being right. Being righteous is always more important than being right. We should not give offense by how right we are, but others may take offense when we live out Christ-like righteousness. What do I mean? A lot of people think it's a badge of honor for a Christian who has the right knowledge, the right understanding, but does it in an earthly way in how they communicate it, their demeanor, their spirit, their attitude. They take and they say, look what I did for Jesus. Oh yeah, you distracted people from Jesus because you had the right information, the right values, the right knowledge, but boy, oh boy, you didn't reflect Jesus in the wisdom in which you entered into that relationship, that conversation. You may have been right, but you weren't righteous. And they say, but, but I offended them by being so right. No, you offended them with your earthly wisdom, not your heavenly wisdom. 
But when we do live in righteousness, and we live in righteousness according to the heavenly wisdom, people may take offense because they're bothered by someone who lives and loves like Jesus. As a matter of fact, remember how this ended up for Jesus living and loving like Jesus. He was crucified. But he never gave offense, people took offense. And we have to be very careful to understand that when we have the right knowledge and the right gospel and the right morality and the right virtues and we have it all down, but we communicate it in a demeanor and with attitude and words that is from an earthly perspective, people aren't gonna see Jesus and we're not gonna glorify God. But when we have that knowledge and that truth, that gospel, the morality, the virtues, the, the priorities of Christ, we have it right, and then we communicate it with the wisdom that's from above, that will turn the world upside down. People will be drawn to Jesus. Some people may take offense, but we don't give them offense. I asked you earlier, are you an agitator? Just agitating people with your shameless, reckless, godless kind of approach to how you present the gospel or how you share a biblical perspective, let me ask you, are you a peacemaker? Are you a peacemaker? Are you helping others see Jesus by your tone and your spirit, the words you use? Or are you getting just as heated as the ungodly person who doesn't know Christ? We ought to be different. We ought to be living by heavenly wisdom. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to go into the largest slum in Central America. It's in San Jose, Costa Rica. And I was there with some of our mission partners, and we were going to go meet the mayor of San Jose, Mayor Johnny, down at this community center that we were going to rebuild and build it as a ministry center. And um, we got to the edge of this slum that's riddled with crime and child prostitution, just a terrible, terrible place for children to grow up and people to live. And... Um, we stopped at the edge of it, and we got out of our car, and these government trucks pulled up, and I got into the cab of one of those trucks, and in the back of the, in the bed of the truck were military people with machine guns and several trucks full of these guys. And we went in with two trucks ahead of us with guys with machine guns, went into this community center. They circled around it, and I have to say, I felt very comfortable <laughs> But you could see it just upset people. You could see it stirred up dust and people were angry and kind of collected some crowds and they were angry. They wanted to do something to demonstrate they didn't like this presence of these people in this place. We were there to do something good for the community. A couple of years later, I was there and our American partners that are down there said to me, hey, do you want to go into the slum again and, and see the work and what's been happening? And Leslie was with me. And I remember saying, well, you know, where are the trucks with the guards? And they said, oh, we don't need those. Abuela Teresa is going to come. Grandma Teresa is going to come and take you in. Right, yes, I'm going in there with Grandma Teresa. And this woman in her early 70s, gray hair, very thin, no meat on her bones whatsoever, came and said, follow me. And we walked into that slum the same way we drove in before. And because of her faith in Christ and who she was and who she'd been as a presence within that slum, caring for those people, and she lived among them, as she walked in, people would walk up to her and hug her, and they'd hug her, and we'd see guns in their belts. You could tell there was crime. You could tell there was violence. You could tell this was a, a tough place. 
But her presence, because of her demeanor and her spirit, was totally different, and it was infectious, and there were other people being affected and coming to Christ and changing because of that. That's the distinction. We went in the first time with the same gospel, the same heart to care for people, but we went in with all this stuff. We went in the second time with someone who had brought peace. She'd been a peacemaker, pointing people to Jesus, and there had been a respect developed because of the way she not only knew the gospel, knew the word of God, but the wisdom she used in living it out in real time and real relationships. Jesus is our example. Are you an agitator or are you a peacemaker? Are you following the wisdom of earth or the wisdom of heaven? May our desire to be that there's more of him and less of me in my life. Jesus, I want to be like you.